Welcome back to NIM Talk, a podcast for NEMT operators. My name is Eric Lane, and I'm the NEMT Practice Director for Bankers Insurance. I've helped NEMT operators put best practices in place and work with them to expand their business to achieve their goals, and I'm excited to do the same for all of you listening. Our goal is to give you the tools necessary for you to enjoy the same successes as my clients. Our guest today is Josh Kaminda, co-founder, CEO, and president of healthcare logistics leader Veo a full-service NEMT broker using technology to better manage NEMT benefits for Medicaid and Medicare programs, state governments, and managed care organizations. After completing a degree in computer engineering from the University of Waterloo and a graduate degree in business from the Marshall School of Business at the University of Southern California, Kaminda began his career at Qualcomm, where he led a global engineering team and served as vice chair for a 3G Global Wireless Standards Committee from 2004 to 2010. Kaminda's first startup, Go Fast Cab, launched in 2009 as the first taxicab booking system for retail customers in the United States. And in 2013, GoFastCab was acquired by its largest customer, Total Transit, who hired Kaminda and his team to continue advancing his mobile booking system. While focusing on the technology platform, Kaminda and his team recognized non-emergency medical transportation as a vital industry that suffered from the same problems that the consumer transportation industry did, such as unreliable service, difficulty with supply, non-transparent operations. After consulting with hospitals and Medicaid directors, it became apparent that unreliable medical transportation was a problem and was especially debilitating for underserved communities. So to create a solution to that problem, Kaminda and his team's technology platform was combined with the Healthcare Logistics and Transportation Division of Total Transit to create a new tech-enabled healthcare transportation venture called Veo. And Veo is a full-service transportation brokerage designed specifically for healthcare. Built to transform member access to care, Veo is the first and only broker directly integrating the latest technology with fully trained and Medicaid-credentialed rideshare fleets and consumer rideshare fleets to decrease costs and increase efficiency. Veo has the most powerful network in NEMT and is delivering dramatically higher levels of reliability, quality, and transparency to customers, partners, and members. So we're super excited to have Josh on here today to talk to us about Veo, their mission, and uh, what they're looking for in their transportation provider partners. So we'll get right into that interview. So Josh, tell me a little bit about Veo. Just kind of give me a, a background for some of our listeners that may not be familiar with your with your platform. Sure. Veo is a tech-enabled uh, non-emergency medical transportation broker. Uh, so essentially, we work with um, large payers, uh, you know, uh, managed care organizations, and state agencies. Uh, and we deliver a large-scale NEMT network or an NEMT uh, benefit uh, to those payers and members. Um, and we work, you know, we sort of differentiate among in, among the industry players uh, as being sort of the, the tech-forward player. Uh, so really leveraging uh, to a, to a greater degree. Uh, GPS, tablet technologies, connectedness, and you know, tools for members, uh, payers, uh, healthcare providers, where they can book and track trips in real time. Uh, and we also integrated, in addition to a traditional um, NEMT provider network, comprehensive NEMT provider network, uh, we also have a program, what we call our IDP, or Independent Driver Provider Program, uh, which allows sort of individuals uh, sole proprietors um, to sort of register, get training, and and participate uh, in on-demand trips in the NEMT world. Now, a lot of the the IDPs, the independent, what do you call them? Independent. Independent driver providers. Independent driver providers. I like that. Um, yeah. Those those are part of your uh, your real-time network, your on-demand network. Exactly. Yeah. A, a lot of our. I mean, we 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 do different dispatching models with you know really all of our our supply types, but uh, primarily our IDP model. Uh, 
you know, kind of works the best in kind of denser urban areas where we do demand, you know, where we have a lot of demand uh, and we do demand response or on-demand uh, transportation with those. Very cool. And so you work with MCOs and state agencies. Um, those those state agencies or these the Medicaid providers? Uh, yeah, the state agency, I mean, just depending on how any MT is configured in different states, sure. uh, sometimes uh, the benefit really is the responsibility of the MCOs in a local state. Uh, sometimes, you know, really the state um, social services agencies or, or, uh, or health department of health services uh, will, you know, be responsible and basically deliver or do an RFP for a broker um, to manage the benefit for all Medicaid lives. And in most states, it's actually kind of a hybrid, depending on the population. Some are managed, some get their NEMT benefit from a state contractor, others will get it through, you know, their MCO. So when you use the the independent drivers, and you've also, you work with some of the, do you work with traditional transportation providers? Yeah, definitely. Uh, very, very significantly in both, right? So um, our IDP network uh, is able to kind of come in and augment uh, traditional providers and sort of provide more supply. And as I mentioned before, um, they, you know, our IDPs only do ambulatory trips. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we use, uh, you know, traditional NEMT providers extensively uh, throughout the markets, but especially for more rural trips or specialized work, et cetera. Very cool. So what are you looking for most when you're looking at a contract with a, with a transportation provider? Uh, really just, you know, being able to, uh, I, I think it's pretty simple, right? I mean, we, we really want, um, you know, high, really high quality. So able to demonstrate a high on-time percentage, a low complaint or low grievance rate, uh, somebody who can, you know, ensure they're able to really stay with us to make sure that they're a hundred percent, um, compliant and credential network, credential provider. Um, and then also who somebody can deliver, deliver value, right? So, you know, just a, a, an efficient cost per mile. Um, and those would be, you know, if, if uh, providers that can sort of knock all of those out of the park uh, are, are sort of our most, uh, you know, probably most value providers. Where do you see is the biggest area for improvement for, you know, for a transportation provider that say, you know, they've got 10 vehicles on the road and where, where do most of them fall short? Um, from your perspective? Um, you know, I, I, think, I think there's just a matter, you know, you know, we realize the industry is extremely, it can be a very challenging business. And I think all of us uh, in every part of the value chain are really expected to operate in, in, at low margins um, and, you know, really deliver efficient service. And, you know, I, I think that, um, you know, for us, you know, as I mentioned, just mentioned, I think that to the extent that, that folks can, work with us to deliver the highest possible quality. Um, you know, we realize that, you know, trying to be unreasonable or unrealistic with, with costs kind of is a, can, can be a, uh, uh, you know, a, a counter lever to, to quality. So we try to be as balanced as we can, but, you know, just being able to deliver that quality and reliability, uh, accepting trips uh, for us and, and delivering at the, at the right cost per mile. Um, I wouldn't say that, you know, I'm not sure if I would say most providers fall short, uh, but just figuring out how to keep those things in balance and work with us. And, um, you know, I think that's, that's you know, as I said, the most important thing to being a good, good partner, a good provider. I think you used a good word there and it's partner. So you're looking for, you're looking for a transportation provider in that space that's going to be able to partner with you to deliver on the same service goals that you've, that you've sold, right? Yeah, I, I, absolutely. And, you know, I, I think that's, you know, the same thing that matters um, to our customers who are the payers, the MCOs and the state agencies those are the exact same things we want to matter to our partners as well. So cost and quality um, and working together. I mean, we have all kinds of ways in which, 
we, we really love providing support to our partners. So um, if, if providers are, are really interested and motivated to, you know, get their quality scores up, uh, to find more efficient ways of doing business, you know, whatever we can do to uh, work together uh, on, you know, mentoring or recommending technology, best practices, um, helping to improve, you know, internal procedures, um, training. Uh, so, you know, we're certainly looking to, you know, we're, we're sort of a, a constantly self-improving entity. You know, we always look for ways to improve and, and study our processes. Uh, and we also want to share best practices with our partners and figure out how to make the best. And, and so, you know, even if a provider is, is, you know, maybe struggling to some degree or hasn't always had the best uh, you know, the best ratings, but they're highly motivated to improve. Um, that's, that's something that we really value. And, and, and truth be told, if the provider, you know, is motivated, usually we can work together to get things significantly improved. I think that's great. I mean, you're, you depend on them to deliver on your, on your service levels and to be willing to, to go in and, and help identify and fix problems before they spiral out of control. I think there's a lot of value in that. Josh, one of the, yeah, one of the things that you know we hear a lot from transportation providers is the is the difficulty and or the the onerous challenge of credentialing with uh, credentialing with uh, brokers like yourself. I always tell them that it's because <laughs> that it's really important to make sure that all of the all of the T's are crossed and the I's are dotted, and that it's it, it's onerous because it needs to be. What does Veo do um, to help? you know, streamline that process or, you know, make it easier to work with you? We, well, we have, I mean, we definitely leverage technology to track, uh, to track records and uh, expiries and, and make sure, you know, through, through email and on, on, you know, uploading, we have both sort of a simple and transparent dashboard for providers to see, you know, what, what needs to be, what, you know, what's coming up as expiring, what needs to be replaced, uh, what they need to do to stay compliant. Um, and, you know, that's, that's augmented by our, our, our staff on the ground that, you know, will reach out with reminders. Um, you know, our staff tries to be as flexible as they possibly can, knowing that, you know, not everybody might have access to the same technology. Some folks are more digitized, others are, you know, off, you know still work with paper records. And we try to, you know, provide multiple avenues for, uh, for things to get into our system and, and to help them any way we can. Um, but, but as you said, you know, it's just, it's really important from, uh, a regulatory standpoint, um, from a safety standpoint, uh, that that we do whatever we can to try to stay as as compliant as we possibly can at all times. But the the ramifications of not being compliant are huge. Right. Exactly. <laughs> you don't really have a choice. Yeah. Uh, all right. So you've yet, we've talked about technology a, a, a lot, and NEMT is what, what I would consider a unique industry in that there's a technology solution for virtually every problem. Um, which is super cool. Where does Veo fit into that? What what does your technology do that um, that really sets you apart? You know, it's really it's really uh, you know not just one specific area of the business, but but really you know kind of holistically how we you know why we entered the space uh, as a company back in 2015 as sort of a a next generation of our parent organization. Um, and, you know, really it's being a, a technology enabled company from the ground up. So, you know, some of our um, more traditional competitors, you know, they've, they've, you know, been in the business since, since the, you know, the 1990s and, you know, this, there's sort of older technology uh, platforms that have been kind of added onto over the years and adjusted here and there. Uh, we definitely saw, like, if you think about back in, um, 
back in sort of the early 2010s, we began to see this kind of confluence of, uh, you know, mobile, you know, really, you know, cheap and accessible mobile tablets, uh, cloud computing, and GPS technologies that just really became ubiquitous. And these, these technologies really kind of transformed a number of industries. Uh, but, you know, it also, you know, kind of, ran, you know, basically went from a, you know, transformed a lot of industries from sort of a, a less, a less trackable sort of, um, you know, using technology to transmit information, but, but not a real time visibility and control mm -hmm. to all of a sudden, you know, we began to see this, this opportunity to really create, uh, you know, even though we work with thousands and thousands of trips per day, uh, and, you know, hundreds of transportation, if not thousands of transportation providers per day, uh, different technologies, different systems. Uh, but we really wanted to kind of start off with the principle of having, you know, things really trackable, vehicle locations, real-time trip progression, uh, event, trip events uh, available in real time, be able to see supply, available supply and demand and any imbalances and really use those technologies to create real-time visibility for our teams, our internal teams that are sort of monitoring service quality, looking for problems. I can also use those technologies for our health plans and our members so that they can get, you know, be able to access technologies where they can, you know, click and see a, a vehicle location in real time, contact the driver. Um, in many ways, like, you know, I think, um, you know, Uber and Lyft in the, in the consumer world were the first to kind of change passenger expectations in terms of being able to track a vehicle and get that peace of mind, contact the driver, uh, minimize misconnections. Um, and then, you know, we basically said, this is really powerful technology um, that we can adapt and make it work for the healthcare world. So, you know, that whether it's a VAO employee um, or even a, um, you know, a, a, a team member, a healthcare provider, uh, they can log into a portal and see trips for their patients. Um, so this is just really like, you know, changing the standard of the industry, you know, providers, uh, you know, are, you know, can be monitored and make sure that, you know, they're addressing trips as expected into their commitments. Um, our team can look for problems and sort of intervene before they happen. Uh, members get that peace of mind and connectivity um, and health plans, you know, I think, sort of for the first time, they get their dashboards where they can log in, see statistics and trips and reports, uh, and they start to see a lot more transparency about, you know, this benefit that they're paying for. Visibility into what's going on within that network is 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 awesome. I mean, that's that's game changing for particularly health health plans. Exactly, definitely. So you know, I always, you know, we try to talk about it and you know use some econ terms every once and again. But you essentially developed a product that that uh, helps in the allocation of scarce resources, right? So you've got. You've got people that need to go from A to B, and uh, you're either going to fulfill that with uh, one of your transportation provider partners or one of the independent driver partners, and you know your platform enables that. So that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, I think I think if I were to think about um, what what our platform, if I just kind of zoom out and think about what our platform does for the industry and, and what it does for for stakeholders, uh, first is obviously it provides this transparency. Uh, it, it sort of minimizes it minimizes mistakes so you think about in transportation there's misconnections like a driver's waiting at the wrong door of a facility um, or you know somehow that the member or driver are not able to really communicate uh, effectively or when somebody's running five minutes behind um, so opening up those tools to allow that sort of real-time connection between member and driver and tracking and solving for something kind of solving those problems that are sort of everyday problems in transportation um, you know that goes a long way 
Um, there's also the sort of accountability factor. And, and I know that, you know, almost always providers are trying to do the right thing. Um, but, you know, I think there's a little bit of like, wh you know, where were, were you at the GPS location where you said you were supposed to be there? Uh, what happened? And I think that just having this sort of objective, digitally measured, uh, like, you know, if a provider's, you know, saying somebody no-showed or vice versa, like we know exactly where the vehicles were, what happened. Um, and I think that the last thing is the IDP model really allows for this like supply flexibility. Um, so, you know, if you have a, in a traditional fleet network, uh, whether you're a, you know, a single provider or a network of providers, you know, if you have um, only a certain number of commercial vehicles, you know, that's your maximum capacity. And I think what the IDP model does for us is allows us to, you know, with this sort of, uh, you know, more flexible, you know, drivers that are drivers and vehicles that are credentialed and vetted, but don't have to be full-time vehicles, we can sort of swell the network, the supply and capacity at peak periods. So at, you know, 8 a.m. or 7 a.m. on a Tuesday morning, when it's probably one of the busiest times for NEMT, um, the IDP network gives us a lot more incremental capacity to make sure we always have the right number of cars on the road. And that's invaluable, right? Because what's the, the worst thing that can happen is you know, somebody misses a dialysis appointment. You know, there are things that can't be missed. And the inability to, to flex that network, like you said, is, uh, is, is a constraint. And having that IDP network is, uh, helps to solve that problem. Absolutely. So we'll get back to that interview with Josh in just a moment. Uh, and a quick update from the last episode of NIM Talk regarding insurance. I had something happen just days after that episode was published that I just had to share. So this was a prospective client that had approached us late in their renewal. I felt some compassion, and I liked the operation, so I didn't have them sign an initial broker of record letter before engaging with them, thinking that my program carrier would be open. Well, not only was my program carrier closed by an agent who was outside of the distribution of that program, but they had been declined because of a very uh, silly error. You see, this agent wasn't familiar with the nuances of NEMT businesses, and was unable to adequately explain a small aspect of this particular business that turned out to be irrelevant to the carrier. But another underwriter latched onto it and had declined the, uh, had declined the opportunity to offer terms, so they passed, even with a broker of record letter. You see, by purchasing their insurance in a way that doesn't guarantee their best outcomes, the transportation provider cost themselves $24,000 for the 2021-2022 policy year. See, how you buy insurance matters. And if you subscribed to NimTalk at www.nimtalk.com or on Facebook or Twitter or some of the other social platforms out there, be on the lookout for a document uh, that can help you navigate the challenges of purchasing insurance without costing yourself thousands of dollars. We're also going to be featuring uh, quick insurance tips moving forward on NimTalk uh, since the episode on insurance was um, so well received. So stay tuned for more of that. And now back to our great discussion with Josh Kaminda of Veo. So, you know, we talk about the IDP network, and uh, the first thing that pops into my head is Uber and Lyft, right? Uh, and, you know, the, the, how you guys kind of got into it, the onus for it, uh, was the, the, the uh, expansion, I guess, of, 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 of on-demand, or the ability to request a trip on, in an on-demand capacity. Uber and Lyft are in the healthcare space. What separates Veo from Uber and Lyft? Yeah, so so there's in some ways, you know, the, the transportation network company or ride sharing or, you know, sort of the models that that were really pioneered by Uber and Lyft. Um, you know, we are, our IDP network has, you know, resembles those models in many ways. 
Um, although, you know, it's important to note that our drivers uh, go up to or go, go, go through close to eight hours of eight hours of training of how to do um, how to transport folks specific and specifically in the healthcare industry. So they, you know, they're fully, they're fully credentialed um, as NEMT providers in, you know, in, you know, basically exceeding all of our customer or state requirements. Uh, so that often includes, you know, first aid, CPR training, uh, ADA training, patient sensitivity, how to help folks from the front door um, of, of, you know, a residence or, or, or to a facility, um, how to work with folks with uh, behavioral health challenges, intellectual disabilities, uh, you know, disabled children. Um, so they really understand kind of, you know, being trained on HIPAA and patient privacy rules, um, you know, basic safety procedures. So they really understand sort of a, a pretty broad array of needs within, uh, especially within, you know, Medicaid communities or, or Medicare Advantage communities. Um, they are, you know, fully qualified to do what we call door-to-door -door trips versus uh, a traditional Uber or Lyft really just does curb-to-curb -curb trips. So they, uh, you know, generally, you know, help folks who don't really need extra assistance, um, which, which, you know, there's a lot of, the, you know, quite a few of those folks in the, uh, in the NEMT world, especially, you know, even those that are using ambulatory transportation. Um, and then I would say it's also just sort of the, the fact that, you know, we have a direct sort of relationship with these drivers. So, you know, our technology and platform is able to, uh, you know, really transmit, um, you know, pertinent information to the driver in a healthcare context. Um, and our drivers understand sort of really understand the, you know, sort of how the benefit works, the populations they serve, and how to most effectively serve them. The, the last thing I'll say is just, you know, it's, there's an efficiency with our IDP network. So uh, because we contract directly with these providers, uh, as opposed to having sort of a third party in between, uh, there's just, it's just a, it's a more economically efficient model as well. And I think that's what you just said is back in probably towards the beginning of that was the, the, the training that they get and the, the fact that these are fully credentialed drivers who are capable of caring for and providing the level of service necessary for what is, you know, a, a, a community of um, a community of, of members or a community of patients uh, who, you know, have additional needs. It's not just like, you know, you're not going to a bar on you know Friday night. These are individuals that are at a time in their life when they need some additional help. And the fact that you go through that training process, I think, is what uh, is something that's super important, particularly as the as, as the population that uses this benefit will begin to shift. You know, you have younger people coming up that are um, that are becoming Medicaid uh, eligible or even, you know, the, the growth in the health plan use of of non-emergency technology, I think, or non-emergency uh, transportation, I think, is huge. Um the need for having that on-demand flexibility, I think, is only going to expand. Right, and 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 you know, the, the, I think I think also when another another important point, important point is just the reason. Like a, a lot of our drivers, or I should say, all of our drivers, really know um, the type of work that they're signing up for, and you know, the understanding that that they're serving uh, that they're serving a community that may have more advanced needs or maybe a little bit more complicated than your typical, you know. You know, driving college kids around, et cetera, um, and or doing an airport trip, um, and in fact, a lot of our drivers, you know, are you know, we have a really diverse array of drivers. Um, you know, some of them are doing it, you know, more as a more as a way to make you know extra income. Um, others are doing it, you know, just you know, we have a lot of retired folks are doing it in their free time uh, to have people to talk to. Um, but a lot of them also just are, are highly motivated by you know the service aspect of it that they want to help. 
uh, communities in need that they understand that a lot of folks they're transporting may be going through a, a tough challenge. Um, and this is something they just find really, re really rewarding. You know, we've had drivers that um, just have personal experiences in their families with, uh, you know, folks that are, you know, have gone, you know, that either themselves and, and, you know, previous points in their life or family members, uh, for example, um, that have struggled with drug addiction. And, you know, that, that is a big constituency of the, the folks we transport are people that are going to uh, drug, you know, medication assisted treatment and, and that kind of thing. And so just them being able to, you know, serve those communities, I think is really valuable. And we've had drivers nominated as local healthcare heroes and stuff like that. So that's a really important part of, you know, um, there may, there may be many drivers for sort of the big national consumer TNCs that, um, that, that, you know, are happy to do that work as well. Um, but it's a little bit of a different, different context because that's not the primary work they do. No, I think that's I think that's great. The idea of you know, having a vested interest in the success of your community um, is a is a is a big motivator for a lot of drivers and a lot of the people that we talk to, a lot of operators that we talk to. Um, a lot of them got into this business because of a personal experience, um, and you know when you've had that, it, it changes your outlook on the service that you're providing. And when you talk about the types of work that they're doing, you know, addressing those social determinants of health and providing access to reliable transportation. I think is very important. And during COVID, you guys made a pretty big pivot, or not a pretty big pivot, but you you expanded your service offerings to be able to assist with some of that. Why don't you talk to us about uh, what you guys did in response to uh, the COVID crisis? Yeah. So, uh, I mean, the first thing, you know, I think the first aim, and and I think like like everybody, um, you know, back in back in late February and into early and mid March, you know, I, I just I think that um, you know this came at came to every uh, company, organization, community group. Uh, it's a little bit of a shock. Uh, and, you know, I don't think that, um, I, I, I certainly think things will be different now, but I think a lot, of, a lot of organizations and communities and programs just had never really contemplated uh, such, a, such a crisis all at once and how to respond. So I think, you know, one of the ways that we prioritized was really thinking about um, this, this really ch challenging, um, paradox, right? I mean, we, you know, any MT are, there are, there, they are, you know, um, specially trained drivers, but the vehicles and the drivers and the system is really not designed with, you know, prevention of an infectious disease in mind historically, right? It's not like an ambulance that is designed as a negative pressure uh, system and, and can, you know, go through a terminal cleaning after every patient encounter. Any MT is just not designed that way and it never has been. Um, and so thinking about, uh, wow, like we have to really, um, it's not, you know, especially back in the early days in March, it's not like, um, you know, it's not like some organizations that could just be shut down completely out of precaution. We realize that, wow, we still have to do whatever we can to protect members and protect drivers, um, knowing that it's not, it's a very imperfect system uh, for, you know, you know, infectious disease spread. But we can't shut it down, obviously, because and we have to keep going because uh, so many of these folks uh, just depend on this for life-sustaining treatment. So how do we, you know, how do we make sure we stay this, keep this operational? Uh, we support our drivers as much as we possibly can and do whatever we can to protect them so that they they keep their vehicles on the road. That we don't spread, you know, have the NEMT vehicles or drivers become a place where members could potentially get infected, but also make sure that we get everyone to their appointments. 
Um, so it was really difficult, you know, to, to balance all of those aims. Um, and we, you know, we worked with, um, you know, medical, you know, medical consultants and uh, from whatever we could figure, whatever we did know about the disease back in March, you know, how could we make this the safest environment possible? Um, so first was just, just really doing, you know, education and screening in our call centers, uh, making sure that our, our agents that, they, that are interacting with communities can, you know, really help members um, and, you know, figuring out if they've touched base with their healthcare provider by, by telemedicine or by phone first, just to make sure that they're in communication, um, helping educate folks with symptoms, um, you know, what they can do and how we can help them. Um, also making sure that our drivers were heavily, you know, really well educated about protecting themselves, um, their family members, uh, what they should do if they experience symptoms. And so I think just education, screening protocols, um, and then constantly adapting them and improving them as we got more information. And I mean, I'm sure as you can recall, getting things like masks seemed nearly impossible right. uh, last April, but whatever we could to get you know, a supply chain of masks going to our drivers and making them available to people getting in the car and, you know, disinfected to wipe down door handles and, and that kind of thing. Um, you know, just our team, you know, I'm, I'm so proud of our, our teams that, you know, for just being, you know, being, being uh, innovative and entrepreneurial and figuring out really how to solve these problems as quickly as we possibly could. What was that? Um, Sorry. So that, that was, that was sort of on the, on the basic service and then thinking about, I can also talk to you if you're interested about the, our COVID or COVID-19 specialized fleet. Absolutely. Sort of the next, yeah. The next step on top of that. Um, so, I mean, you know, very quickly we uh, you know, we realized that um, and, you know, to different degrees in different States, um, but we started thinking about, um, okay, there's this, there's going to be a population of folks who are either um, you know, COVID-19 uh, positive um, or especially when testing was 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 not really readily available to everybody, you know, a person under investigation. So somebody who's had a known exposure or symptoms, um, but they still, you know, they you know they still have to get to their doctor's appointments or to dialysis or to other life-sustaining treatment. Um, you know, we as we began working with 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 regulators around the country and talking this through, um, you know, knowing that NEMT drivers and vehicles are not really set up to transport folks with with a highly contagious disease, um, you know, began there began kind of recommendations around the country that that really you know COVID nineteen positive folks or PUI um, really would be medically indicated for for um, non emergent ambulance uh, be, just because the vehicles and the drivers would have the PPE um, and the negative pressure and and, and terminal cleaning procedures, uh, but obviously this was not an ideal situation uh, because you know these folks. You know, wouldn't necessarily have a, uh, you know, an otherwise medical frailty that would require an ambulance, and we were also fearful about putting, you know, taxing our ambulance system, especially in the middle of this crisis. Yeah. Uh, so we worked together again with our medical consultants and studied, you know, what we knew, what we knew about the disease at the time, and developed what's called our COVID nineteen specialized fleet. Uh, so we were able to take uh, regular vehicles and retrofit them with. Um, you know, seat coverings that would be dis you know, disinfectable, um, you know, dividers between driver and passenger compartments, either plexiglass or, um, or plastic sheeting, um, and, you know, basically procure um, uh, sort of more extensive PPE for those drivers, uh, face shields, masks, and 95 uh, gloves, disinfectant, 
um, and then kind of went, underwent a special training procedure for those drivers. So how to properly don and doff PPE, how to protect their family members, you know, laundering their clothes as soon as they get home, um, how to, you know, just really avoid any physical contact with, with members um, and how to, you know, let them get in and out of the vehicle. And then we set up cleaning stations in, in our cities where we had those, um, where we had those, uh, that service available so that every, between every single trip of the member, uh, the driver would report back to the cleaning station and the vehicle would undergo you know, an extensive terminal clean uh, with EPA approved disinfectants um, and procedures uh, to make sure that vehicle was safe for the next passenger. Um, and so we kind of developed a, a, an extensive series of protocols and we launched those cleaning stations and procedures initially with our IDP systems uh, and then also began working training with 3POs how they could become compliant to the program. Uh, in fact, we actually shared the protocols outside of our network as well, just knowing that uh, we had, you know, put invested a lot, of, a lot of effort into figuring this out, and we wanted to make those protocols available to other NEMT systems in the country, even if we weren't directly involved. Um, luckily, we were just also very thankful working with our regulators, um, you know, just understanding, uh, having them support uh, that process of coming up with these regulations, and also from them, their perspective, understanding that uh, obviously, this is a, a, a much more costly service um, just because of all the PPE, cleaning, driver time, um, et cetera. So having them recognize that and working with us to help us uh, build, build you, know, uh, you know, altered cost models for it. No, that's great. I mean, you're, you're right. The, the worst thing that could have happened at that period of time was, A, do nothing, and B, is to again, scarce allocation or allocation of scarce resources. There are so many ambulances out there and they probably need to be reserved for those critical care issues. Um, and you guys really stepped up and filled that gap. And I think that's very cool. Do you anticipate leaving in some of these vehicles, you know, for the duration um, or for the long haul? You know, well, Yeah, you know, unfortunately, um, even though we developed this service, you know, last April, we kind of were sort of not, not sure if we were going to suddenly see a surge of, a surge of, of usage or not. And what we ended up seeing is that really April, May, June was kind of the time where, where uh, in many parts in many of our markets, sort of some of the cases started, the case loads started coming down. We actually had very low usage of it when we first launched it. Um, but unfortunately, what, we're, what we've seen in some markets is really a, a pretty big surge in, in the utilization of this service uh, in sort of December and January um, and, and really continuing on right now. So we are, um, we are actually probably at, at, at close to our peak usage of this service right now, and wow. you know we're going to continue to make it available uh, through the duration as long as as long as it's necessary. What was the biggest lesson you learned from this pandemic? Um, I, I think that um, you know realizing that uh, we have a. Uh, a, you know, you know, somewhat of a fragmented healthcare system. So there's just a lot of different, um, you know, there's there's uh, you know MCO leadership, regulators, um, you know, member communities, and one thing that's difficult is uh, just keeping, you know, especially in sort of a a crisis situation that is really commanding a rapid response. Um, just trying to make sure you communicate, communicate, communicate. Uh, effectively and try to get everyone on the same page. Um, I, I, I'm not sure if that's a new lesson learned, but I think it's always, um, you know, getting, you know, uh, having, you know, standing meetings with stakeholders and, and really trying your best to make sure that 
um, you know, sometimes it's it's it can be a difficult because you want you know consensus among um, all, all of the stakeholders that are really important and 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 uh, or I should say all the stakeholders and it, sometimes that's difficult to achieve and sometimes you have to move quickly. So I think you know trying to you know always always get better at communicating um, and getting everyone on the same page. I think it's a pretty good lesson just in general, right? <laughs> the ability right. ability to communicate effectively. Right. So, so there's a lot going on in the NEMT world um, right now. It's probably a, one of the most exciting times to be an NEMT operator um, out there it, with, the, with the Medicaid benefit now being codified and not just relying on some court opinions from the 70s. Uh, what's, what, are, what are you most excited about for the future of non-emergency medical transportation? Um, I, I'm just, I'm just cons- like really continue to, um, I continue to be excited about thinking about you know, the role it can play in population health and being able to demonstrate with data and study, um, you know, how, how much, you know, this is important in our industry, you know, how much our, how important our industry is to overall health um, and, and social determinants and outcomes. Um, I think that it's, it's um, intuitively been known for many years that obviously, you know, solving, a, you know, transportation could be a major, you know, solving a major barrier to care or access to care. Um, but I think that, you know, it's not an industry that's been studied enough. And I think now that we have uh, more advanced capabilities and data sets and, and ways to work with, uh, you know, payers and, and public health folks and advocates, um, really showing the power of this benefit um, and how it can improve lives, I think, I think is, uh, is, is going to be extremely powerful. And, and also thinking about ways to deploy it in innovative ways to, um, to improve, you know, population health. I think to you know reduce overall costs um, and thinking about you know especially in managed care environments how you know keeping people and populations healthier can can reduce claims cost overall and and improve people's lives. Um, so I, you know I think that's I think that's an exciting um, exciting area of our of our industry and or exciting you know thought of our industry and and uh, and you know we continue to work not just with payers but. Um, with healthcare providers and, and other stakeholders, other parts of the industry, where I think they're becoming more and more, um, you know, they're, they're becoming stronger and stronger believers in what this can, you know, what this service can do for for people. No, I, I, I'm also very excited about that. It is one of the the is one of the most exciting times um, to be in non-emergency medical transportation. So, Josh, one last thing, and what's what's next for Veo? What's next for Veo? So we have, uh, you know, you know, obviously, you know, for us, 2020 was was a year of really, you know, making sure that first and foremost, um, that in such a difficult year and with so many rapid changes and twists and turns, that we are first and foremost there for the members of our customers and making sure that we could make, you know, at least transportation um, one of the few things in their life that maybe wasn't disrupted because of the pandemic. Yeah. And, um, but I think, you know, we've, we really, you know, I'm so proud of our team's ability to really do that to the best degree possible. Um, we've got, um, I think some pretty, pretty, uh, exciting, uh, things on deck in terms of just new, uh, new business, new business starting for and new markets launching, uh, this year. So we have, um, you know, kind of, a. uh, a fair amount of new business planned uh, for this for the first first half or next. I should say, you know, mostly starting in Q2 and Q3. Uh, so we're excited about that. Um, in addition, like we you know we continue to really you know innovate and push on the product side. 
So things like our RideV portal, which is our, our, our constantly advancing dashboard for healthcare providers uh, to make their lives you know, easier. Uh, we've launched a new line of service called Account Pay, uh, which allows you know, healthcare providers to use our portals to uh, really um, get access to transportation for their patients, even outside of a Medicaid or Medicare benefit. Um, and we're also thinking about, um, you know, really, I think the pandemic has had this uh, major, major rethinking in healthcare on delivery models and, and care models, including, you know, much increased use of telemedicine and home health. Um, and we're really looking at, you know, how can we potentially in the future leverage our logistics platform and capabilities, um, our member, our member management capabilities to help, you know, uh, deliver, other types of service that, that may be very valuable in some of these new delivery models. Um, so, you know, we're starting to explore things like, um, you know, being more involved in re remote patient monitoring, um, at-home encounters and things like that. Um, obviously it wouldn't be our typical driver network doing those types of services, but working with, you know, sort of uh, doing um, basically workforce management with other skill sets and, and people in the healthcare industry and helping to bring care to people at home uh, in, in sort of this new world. Well, it sounds like you guys have a lot on your plate. That account pay thing is very cool. I've always said that the uh, one of the most untapped markets were private healthcare providers, not just even healthcare providers, but um, you think about occupational therapy and rehabilitation uh, who need people in the door in order for them to bill. And, you know, not getting them there is uh, just doesn't just doesn't work, and so the ability to actually dispatch transportation um, with credentialed drivers that have the training necessary to assist their to assist their patients uh, into the into the building, I think is I think is huge. Yeah, we're we're uh, we're really excited about it, and we we began we really began piloting it uh, last summer, um, and I think we've had some really successful early partnerships where um, you know it's it's a totally different. Um, it's a totally different market. You know, we're uh, typically obviously set up to sell to large payers. So that's our sales and marketing engine. And that's how we, you know, have adapted our service, but really kind of making breaking through and thinking about how to serve uh, smaller clients and, and, uh, and, you know, private healthcare providers. Um, I think we've made some really great strides in that area. So we're excited to, to grow that business this year. Well, that's awesome. Josh, we appreciate your time today. Thanks so much, Eric. I appreciate having me. Thanks. Bye-bye. So I really enjoyed that conversation with with Josh. It's really good to get the perspective of uh, one of the larger payers in the space, or one of the larger payers in the Medicaid uh, Medicaid transportation space. Um, it's interesting to hear what they uh, what they see as opportunities in the industry, uh, and it's also interesting to hear what they're looking for in their transportation provider partners. And I like it when they use the word partners. Because um, what that tells me is that they recognize just how important the TPs are to their ability to fulfill their contracts. Um, and it's important that the TP recognizes uh, the importance of having the broker in their life. So it's always good to get their perspective, and we really enjoyed it. Um, as always, you can find me on LinkedIn and the podcast at www.nimtalk.com. That's two T's. Be sure to subscribe and rate the podcast wherever you found us. I want to take a quick second and thank our presenting sponsor for 2021. That's Bankers Insurance, the premier agency for non-emergency medical transportation insurance. Additional content and show notes are up on the website. I hope you'll continue to join us. And until next time, drive safe.